Today's episode is brought to you by lizards. Fuck those things. Viewer discretion is advised. What's up, all you limp dicks and co-cores out there? I'm Rooster Driftwood. Co-cores where? This is Brother D. <laughs> and you're listening to Bad Table Manners. Uh, unrelated topic to what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, while back, Demi Lovato overdosed on heroin. And who gives a fuck because it was a choice, right? <laughs> hey, she made... I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I didn't even know who she was, so forgive me. Uh, was she a singer that. or is she a fucking actress or some shit? I think she's a singer. She's a singer, and that's only because I read some. I read an article. Ah, okay. Well, anyways, if you guys listened to last week's episode, uh, we were talking about the Stephen Avery case. We broke it down for you guys exactly what it was. Um, I hope by this point you actually went and watched Making a Murderer on Netflix. Now we're going to continue the story. As Brother D would kindly elaborate to us, more of the fucking hard-hitting evidence that we just found. So, I went through... There's a lot of pages. There's a 1,200-page um, petition that came out from Zellner, his new attorney. And, um should say, defense attorney for Mr. Avery. Um, and I found some very interesting things um, in that. Especially some testimonies that I've come across. Um... Not sure what I want to dive into, but in that testimony, also, which I'm gonna, I want to make an entire episode about that. Um, but in that petition, she's also claiming that uh, the ex had actually blunt force traumaed Miss Halbach in the back of the head as she was opening, or as the RAV4 back was opening, as this blood splatter analysis should should clearly show. So that's a very interesting and the fact that she made it home and that she did intend actually actually did make it home. Um but there's a couple other key things I want to throw into this one and kind of maybe focus on some information that maybe nobody has talked about that I've come across. Um that's why you're so many fingers to point and possibly just say, oh this and that you know, but this is everything I'm everything I give you. I'm going to try to leave if you're watching us on YouTube or listening on YouTube, I should say that we will have this information most likely down in the, the comments. Um, some of this information I'm about to drop on you so you can read it yourself. And the first 220 pages, at least of this 1200 page petition, I encourage everybody to read them. It's a very interesting, um, but I definitely want to point out. I'm going to go through it a lot more, but I'm definitely going to point out two big things that I have lined up from two different petitions and uh, a testimony as well for um, motions filed, too. But we should also uh, speak on Charles Avery as well, right? We could we could do that, um, but I really want to dig into these two. Well, we'll start it out with this, and then we'll kind of dive into that. Because what we should do is I mean, because he, he's not necessarily like a key suspect right now as it stands. Um, so, I mean, we can throw that in there, uh, a little later into the episode, maybe the next episode, who fucking we'll, knows, but we'll we pull up the reasons why Charles <clears throat> Avery, um, Chuck Avery should have been looked at as a suspect. And then maybe, maybe we'll throw that in with, um, 
Zipperer or whatever his name is, and we'll go from there. But there's very um, important information that I want to throw out here. So let me grab this up here. Full disclosure, I am wearing a Speedo right now. True story. So what we're about to read here right now is an affidavit of uh, Kevin Romlow. Yeah. This is filed, uh, if I'm correct, October 23rd, 2017 by Zoner. This is a motion for reconsideration. Well, it's the last year. No, well, not even a year ago. Yeah, correct. This is, you know, late last year. So this is a affidavit of Kevin Romlow. Um, and this is a factual statement um, that are true and correct on the best of his knowledge, information, and belief. This is a very big piece of information. Um, this, uh, of course, this is a, uh, a statement in the exhibits here. If you're looking on YouTube, you can find this, the motion for reconsideration, October 23rd, 2017 document here on YouTube, youtube.com slash bad table manners. And this episode down below, you should find, um, on page 18 of that PDF file that we have here that he is saying the following in 2005. I lived near Mashakot, Wisconsin, and they probably say it different, but I'm not from there. I'm familiar with the Taddock family. Remember Scott Taddock in our previous episode we may have talked about? Um, he's familiar with that family. Maybe not so much the Averys, but, the, but Scott Taddock's family, because I am acquaintances with Sean Taddock. Sean's brother, Scott, is now married to Stephen Avery's sister. So he's friends with Scott's brother, Sean, which really has nothing to do with this. But... The reason why he's kind of into the case is because of that. He's not into the case, but he, you know, is familiar with that. At least the family. Uh, on number three here, on November 3rd and 4th, 2005, I was a Mashakot. I saw Teresa Halbach's vehicle by the East Twin River Dam in Mashakot at the turnabout, um, the bridge. As I drove away, drove west on Highway 147. So here, here he's saying, at least me personally, I saw Teresa Hallbach's vehicle. Now, that could be any RAV, green RAV4, whatever. But this is how he knows it was at least the same exact make and model. They don't seem that common, you know what I mean? So yeah, especially like, probably the green ones, maybe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like a teal is that what the blue green almost yeah i think um so he goes so on to say around midday on november 4th 2005 i stopped at the Senex gas station at the intersection of highway 147 and state street in mashakot while while there i saw and read a missing person poster for Teresa hallbach i remember that the poster had a picture of Teresa hallbach and written descriptions of Teresa Halbach and the car she was driving. I recognized the poster attached to Exhibit A, which is the missing person poster um, on this um, affidavit, and uh, to this affidavit as a copy of the one I saw at the Synex gas station. So he's confirming that, hey, I saw this exact same make and model vehicle at the turnabout of the bridge at the East Twin River Dam um, on the 3rd and the 4th. And that he walked, he, that he saw this flyer on the Synex gas station. And that this flyer had Teresa Halbach in written descriptions of her herself, Teresa Halbach, and the car she was driving, the Toyota RAV4. 
I recognized the poster attached as the copy of the exact same one I saw at the Sinex gas station, just confirming that that's the one he saw. There could have been maybe several of them. I recognized that the written description of the vehicle on the poster at the Sinex gas station matched the car I saw at the turnaround by the dam. Here's where it gets fucking interesting. Buckle yourselves in, folks, because it's going to be fucking whacked. Shazam! You guys need to go read this yourself and, and whatnot. While I was at the Sinex gas station, a Manitowoc County Sheriff's Department officer came into the gas station. I immediately told the officer that I had seen a car that matched the description of the car on Teresa Hallbach's missing person poster. At the turnaround by that dam. Jump 11 years later, per se. In December 2016, I watched Making a Murderer. In the series, I recognized the officer who I had talked to at the Sinex gas station on November 4, 2005. A photograph of this officer is attached in Exhibit B uh, uh, to this affidavit. Uh, uh, having watched Making a Murderer, I now know that that name is Andrew Colburn. So, Officer Colburn is being told... He, okay, so number one, let's talk about this before I even fucking go further. And it's going to, and it's because what I'm coming to is going to fucking blow your mind when I put these two pieces together. He's saying that he told Officer Coburn about the same exact vehicle sitting there for two days in a row at the turnabout. This is not called in. This is not on record. This is not anything that he called this in and say, hey, man, um, I might have this vehicle. I'm going to go check it out. Nothing. So go figure. It's Colburn, right? Um, so he says, also, oh man, I'm getting there. And the picture in Exhibit B, by the way, is a picture of uh, Andrew Colburn, the officer. Um, anyway, after I watched Making a Murderer, this man, Kevin, uh, sent a text message to Scott Taddock. Having, you know, reviewed a saved copy of that message, I know that I sent it on December 12, 2016 at 6.13 p.m. So there are there are actual pictures that say, hey, I sent this actual message, text message to Scott myself. Um, in the message, I told Scott that I had seen Teresa Hallbach's car in the Mishakot, um Dam area turnaround on November 4th, 2005. And I told the officer in the Sinex gas station on December 19th to... Uh, at the Sinex gas station, in the Sinex gas station, on December 19, 2016, I sent Scott, Scott Taddock another message. I never heard back from Scott. Copies of this text message conversation I had with Scott are attached in Exhibit C. So you can look at the flyer, the officer who he confirms he saw that he told that this vehicle, uh, where he saw the matching vehicle at. Um, and then, of course, the last part of this is going to be nothing has been promised or given to me in exchange for this affidavit and uh, signed copies from Kevin himself. Um, so let's go ahead and move forward. Let's so let's break this down. What I've just read. If you, you sometimes you kind of have to, especially when I'm reading the documents like kind of live here. A gentleman sees, notices he sees a, a car at the turnabout. It's a turnabout by a dam. Like, hey, that the car is maybe sitting there now two days. He pulls up to a Sinex gas station, notices the poster of missing person Teresa Hallbach, reads it, notices that the exact description, most likely it was probably in black and white for mass copy, uh, that it not only matches the, what he's seeing, but also most likely the color and everything. As he's there, he sees Officer Colburn walk in. He tells this officer, hey man, 
that exact car that you guys are looking for is down at the dam. I think it's the East Twin River Dam turnabout. Not one thing is said. Not one thing is called in. And not one thing is mentioned anywhere about being told that this information exists. That's very important. Like, hey, uh, whatever. So let's get to me reading the text message. And then I'm going to go over this again. Because then I'm going to fucking throw it back in your face. Uh, when, when you hear what I'm thinking. So let's do that. Now you got to read this word for word. Yeah. And the, of course, texting is texting. But this is... Uh, at eight, at uh, eighteen hundred hours and thirteen minutes, which would be uh, six thirteen or so on uh, December twenty sixth, he sent this following text message, which you can see these text message pictures yourself. It's a uh, this is from Kevin Rudlow, I think that was it because I'm not looking at the name anymore. Um, to Scott Taddock. Now that that doesn't have much to do with Scott, but we're looking into what was said here. I just watched a series. Making of a murderer. He means making a murderer. And I got to tell you, I need to get in touch with one of their lawyers as Colburn. I saw at Sinex and I told him that vehicle was at the old dam on a Thursday or Friday. I'm and I'm guessing November 3rd was the day he called the plates in. So bombshell. And he says, give me a call, blah, blah, blah. We're not going to disclose that phone number or whatever. Okay. That's huge. And this is why. So if you put maybe these two or three things together, he's saying that maybe on the fourth or fifth, but this testimony didn't come out, my God, until 11 years later. So he could be a little wrong. But he's saying also, if we can put all this together, that he saw the car, he saw it was at the turnabout, he told Coburn, Colburn, Coburn, whatever, he... Saw him in the gas station. Not one thing was reported of somebody telling, of uh, being told of a probably matching description of that exact vehicle. Which leads us to my next point. Why the fuck did Colburn call in them plates to a car that he should not have known? Let's play that part for you. And you all know this part. When Colburn's calling in the plates, and he clearly is being questioned whether he's in front of that vehicle or not. And he knows the make and model, just saying. One of the things road patrol officers frequently do is call into dispatch and give the dispatcher the license plate number of a car they've stopped or a car that looks out of place for some reason, correct? Yes, sir. And the dispatcher can get information about to whom a license plate is registered. Yes, sir. If the car is abandoned or there's nobody in the car, the registration tells you who the owner presumably is. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you to listen, if you would, to a short phone call. Manitowoc County Sheriff's Department, this is Lynn. Lynn. Hi, Andy. Can you run Sam William Henry 582? Um, okay, it shows that she's a missing person. And it lists to Teresa Hallback. Okay. Okay, that's what you're looking for, Andy? 99 Toyota. Yep. Okay, thank you. You're so welcome. Bye-bye. Okay. What you're asking the dispatch is to run a plate that's Sam William Henry 582. Did I hear that correctly? Yes, sir. 
Sam William Henry would be SWH582. Yes. This license plate? Yes, sir. And the dispatcher tells you that the plate comes back to a missing person or woman? Yes, sir. Teresa Hallback? Yes, sir. And then you tell the dispatcher, oh, 99 Toyota? No, I thought she told me that. Okay, it shows that she's a missing person, and it lists two Teresa Hallback. Okay. Okay, that's what you're looking for, Andy? 99 Toyota. Yep. Okay, thank you. You're so welcome. Bye-bye. Were you looking at these plates when you called them in? No, sir. Do you have any recollection of making that phone call? Yeah, I'm guessing 11.03.05, probably after I received a phone call from Investigator Weger letting me know that there was a missing person. Well, Investigator Weger, did he give you the license plate number for Teresa Halbach when he called you? I just don't remember the exact content of our conversation then. But he had to have given it to me because I wouldn't have had the number any other way. Well, you can understand how someone listening to that might think that you were calling in a license plate that you were looking at on the back end of a 1999 Toyota. Yes. But there's no way you should have been looking at Teresa Halbach's license plate on November 3 on the back end of a 1999 Toyota. I shouldn't have been and I was not looking at the license plate. Because you're aware now that the first time that Toyota was reported found was two days later on November 5. Yes, sir. All right, so what that tells us now, see, he's saying the 4th and the 5th, but he's saying he made that call on the 3rd, and I'm not 100% sure when it actually was, but it's very interesting that he calls that in to begin with. Either way, very interesting, very interesting stuff. So I was just trying to put all that together. Heck, maybe even Kevin was unsure. Maybe it was the 3rd, and that, that all went down. He may have not known that, but she wasn't reported missing until the 3rd. But, oh, man, that's a whole mindfuck. I don't know. So what are your thoughts on that one? It's a huge mindfuck. It's just one of the things you can't even really wrap your brain around, man. It's just it's a crazy situation altogether. So I could be wrong about some of this. If you guys can help me with timelines and events, maybe in the comments here uh, on YouTube or anything, I'm just trying to piece that piece of information together. Like I said, hey, I'm on the fence. I don't, I don't know yet, but... I am, like I said in the last episode, I'm a very big advocate for beyond a reasonable doubt information. Hey, it was to me it was beyond a reasonable doubt, so I like to still dive in head first on anything, you know. Go down the rabbit hole on this one. Steven's innocent. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm still on the fence. I have no idea. Even like his own kids say, they they don't know. Was there something going on? Yeah. See, no, kid, see, that's the whole point. These kids aren't going to know, though, man, because they barely know the guy. You know? The, the point is, is we're not saying that we're not saying that these people have done it. 
we're saying why are these things not being investigated in the proper way and pointed in that direction of an investigation to clear out these ideas um also you know we're not saying that um the police did it or anything because at that point all we're just saying is that maybe steven didn't do it if that makes sense that's the most important thing that's we're not saying because also it could be the fact that maybe um, they did do it. Maybe they didn't do it. Maybe they, somebody else did it and they found it and then they decided to frame and move forward with framing or something like that. So, you know, they could have found everything and framed it forward, if that makes sense. See, all we do know, though, is Teresa Hallbach was murdered. Somebody fucking did it. But I don't think it was Stephen Avery. He just, he don't have that demeanor about himself, man. You know what I mean? He's, uh... He's a very soft guy. He seems like he's very genuine. He's seems like he's a really nice guy, you know? But, I mean, I don't know the guy from, like, my ass to a fucking hole in the ground. It's crazy, because you never know. As I said time and time again, I think the guy's innocent. 100%. Full on, through and through. There's just so much evidence, man, that's, like, that's pointing away from Steven itself and pointing into the other direction for other people so it's like it's one of them questions that you got to ask yourself and you just you do the research and you figure it out you get that shit racked up in your brain and then like <laughs> next thing you know you're fucking spending like 30 hours not sleeping like what the fuck man like it's like we're almost in a sense like building a case ourselves and if we have substantial evidence man that we can come up with ourselves then hell yeah i'm gonna send it into this guy and i'm gonna tell him listen check this out or this, or that, or this. This is what I came up with. And I have access to, uh, like, his mailing information. Like, you can write him as he's in prison. And I, I, I plan to do so with things that we discovered on here. Something that may help him out in the court system. You never know. So I will take your lead, because there's a lot to go through that 1,200-page uh, motion. That was just one testimony um, I have so much more to read, but that one stood out to me a lot in thinking of um, what was going on there. But I'll take your lead on, on talking about Charles. So let's break down why Charles um, could have been also a very uh, keen suspect and his history for abuse with women. So these are actual um, cases that have happened against uh, Charles Avery himself. We got Charles Avery. So we're, we're, this is on the uh, state versus Avery. This is the post-conviction. This should be down in, uh, this is what's called part two of the document. This is after Taddix, um, what we went through before. Charles Avery also potentially had a motive to kill Teresa Halbach. Avery had assaulted his former wife and had or has an aggressive history with women who came to the Alv Avery salvage yard. In 1999, the state charged Charles with sexual assault by use of force of his then-wife, Donna. The complaint alleged that Charles held Donna down and had sexual intercourse with her against her will. The complaint also stated that Donna reported that Charles had tied or had tried to strangle her with a phone cord and told her that if she did not shut up, he would end it all. In another criminal complaint filed by the same day, in another criminal complaint filed the same day, Donna Avery stated that Charles had contacted her, even though there was a domestic abuse 
injunction in place. According to the complaint, Charles entered Donna's residence without her permission, that he followed her when she left, and then he, be he again entered her residence without her permission later that night, ripping the phone from, the hand from her hands when she tried to call the police. Charles also blocked the door when Donna attempted to leave. So, we're, like I said, we're not saying that this, but the but these are other reasons why these people should have been looked into, even over Stephen. We're talking even before evidence came in and things like that, too. Or or why the whole case was been built against Stephen and never against anybody else or looked into. Uh, Charles Avery's aggression extended to women who were customers of the salvage yard itself. For example, investigator John Dedering, Dietering, investigator John Dietering of the Calumet County Sheriff's Department interviewed Miss Lavora, which is Zena Lavora, who had her car towed by the salvage yard business. After the tow, Charles began see sending her flowers and repeatedly asking for her to go out on dates, which he found to be disturbing. He sent candy to her home. And on one occasion, he rang her doorbell and left a long gift wrap box with a $100 bill. He continued to call her over the next three weeks, and she reported to her co-workers that she was afraid of him. Yeah, he ain't beating them. He's sending them flowers and $100 bills. Another woman who had been a customer had a similar experience with Charles Avery. The same sheriff's department report contains a statement by Judith, by a, by a woman named Judith, that she bought a part for her car through the salvage yard. A few months later, in October of 2005, to, uh, which is a few months later, literally the month of Teresa Hallbach's murder, the Avery business towed her car. On October 30th, 2005, the day before um, supposedly Teresa Hallbach was murdered, she, her supervisor gave her a note that said she should go to the property the next day to pick up the belongings from her car. She did not go. On November 2nd, 2005, she phoned the business and spoke with Charles. Charles told her that he had been to her house the previous day to drop off her belongings, then proceeded to ask her out for dinner. She refused. Then on November 4th, Charles went to her home with the personal belongings which, she had, which he had sorted from her car. Other stories of his aggressive history with women exist. And it's not always maybe like physical aggressive. It could be what it is. But um, these uh, apparently um, Gary and Daniel Lazowski spoke with law enforcement about Charles. Um, Lazowski reported that Charles had driven by this woman's house repeatedly, would call her to ask her out, and would tell her on the phone that he had seen her in a bathing suit as he had driven by. Charles Avery also had a motive to frame Stephen Avery for Miss Hallbach's murder, namely jealousy for Stephen over money, a share of the family business, and over Jody Stakowski, and over Jody, um, and over Jody. When Stephen Avery returned to the salvage yard after his exoneration, it meant that the average that that the salvage yard business would no longer be run by just Charles and Earl Avery, as Alan Avery was involved less and less in the business. It meant that Stephen would also be part of the business. Thus, what looked like half a share in the family business was likely 
to be a third share with Stephen's arrival. Carla Avery, Charles's daughter, told police that Charles puts up with Stephen working at the yard, but that, but that he does not really want him to work there. Ooh, that's very important, actually, right there. Stephen Avery also looked to be in the line to receive a large sum of money as a result of his exoneration. That money may have caused jealousy to Charles that would cause him to want to see Stephen off the Alv Avery salvage yards. He may, have, he may even have believed that if Stephen were again to be sent to prison, his lawsuit proceedings might go to him and other Avery family members. Charles had also frightened um, Jody, Stephen's wife, or excuse me, girlfriend at the time of Miss Hallbach's murder. While she was in jail, um, Jody had told another woman that she was afraid of Charles and that shortly after um, Joey and Stephen began dating, Charles had come over to Stephen's home with a shotgun because he was angry that they were dating. Jody told this woman that she was freaked out by Chucky and that she had once awoken to find Chucky in her residence that she shared with Stephen. That's fucked up. It's weird, man. <clears throat> it's fucking strange. Charles also had an opportunity to kill Miss Halbach. As one of the Avery brothers, he was on the property daily. He would have been aware of another uh, coming from Auto Trader to photograph cars on the lot. Robert Fabian told police that Charles had asked Stephen if the photographer had come yet to the yard on October 31st, 2005. On November 6, 2005, he told law enforcement that he recalled Stephen may have left, to, left work to go and meet with a girl to take some pictures. Ooh. Huh. Charles also had a means to frame Stephen. For example, after Stephen cut his finger, Charles could have smeared Stephen's blood from a rag in Miss Holbach's car. He could have planted the key in Stephen's room. Getting rid of Stephen would improve Charles's situation. At the salvage yard. The location of Charles' residence on the property is suspicious as well. His trailer is located next to the office of the main entrance to the business, so he would most likely to see people coming and going pretty much to do business at the yard as well. His trailer is also the closest of any of the residences to the location where Miss Hallbach's car was found. Also, unless Miss Hallbach's car was driven into the pit from the rear quarry area, anyone driving her car down to where it was ultimately found would have been driven past Charles's trailer. Charles Avery told law enforcement that he spends a considerable amount of time working in the pit area, and yet he did not notice Miss Hallbach's car. He lives alone and stated he saw no one on the night of October 31st, 2005, so he does not have an alibi for that night. That's very impressive. He never had an alibi. Uh, Charles had access to firearms as he is a hunter and uses the pit when he wants uh, to sight in his guns. More information connecting Charles Avery to Miss Hallbach's disappearance and murder may have been obtained had the police not had such tunnel vision in its investigation. The police reports show that law enforcement repeatedly told Charles that Stephen was the perpetrator of these crimes and they told Charles about important aspects of the investigation. For example, an officer with the Marinette County Sheriff's Department told Charles that they had found the key, that they had found the key to Miss Hallbach's Toyota in Stephen's bedroom, and that they believed that Stephen kept the key so he could later move the car from the salvage yard where he could strip it 
ready for crushing. The officer also told Charles that they had found bones and teeth in the burn pit behind Stephen's house. In a later interview, police told Charles that they believed Stephen had opened the road from the gravel pit into the salvage yard so he could drive Miss Holbach's car to the back row of the yard. The officer told Charles that he understood how unsettling this must be for Chuck, but he needs to face the fact that his brother killed Tahalbach. This focus on Stephen to the exclusion of the other suspect, like Charles, illustrates the failing of the Denny rule. Here, the police developed only that evidence to support its conclusion that Stephen was the perpetrator and failed to develop evidence to link others, such as Charles, to the crimes. Because the state is in charge of an, of an investigation that will ultimately support its case, it will not be inclined to develop evidence which might insist the defense is suggesting that another individual is guilty, is the guilty party. Thus, Denny poses a nearly insurmountable hurdle to the defendant attempting to show a third party is reasonable for the crime. So I hope you got all that. Those are uh, many reasons there why Charles Avery could be a um, possible suspect in the crime using, you know, the, what's called the rule of Denny, where he needs to be investigated and looked into either way. So that's very interesting that he spends most of his time out there. He lives alone right at the entrance. And, you know, he said he never saw anything. He always fucks with the burn pits and everything. That's that blows my mind. So. Here's the question, though. Not now, saying Charles did it. We're just saying this is why Charles should have been investigated more as well. So, like, in your own opinion, who do you feel? Was it, do you think, you know, it could have been Charles Avery or Scott Tack? You know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those things. Like, we read both. They're both fucking psychos, so that's hard to tell. What if they teamed up together? You know what I mean? Could that be a possible thing? I don't know if Chuck was... Really... But they did state that it was, it was... It had to have been done by one man. That's not always true either. One or two. Man, that fucking... Man, I don't know. It's fucked. Because now... Only because... I don't know. I, I'm kind of leaning toward maybe the X more than anything. Just because of so, stuff we haven't talked about yet. With the blood splatter and the 1200 pages. Like, we need to talk about that. But... Man, I don't know. That's why it's a mind fuck. So we wanted to get some of this. The, what we're doing here is throwing some of the, the Avery family information out there and why and questioning, hey, if you guys didn't know and you're listening, now you know about um, Scott Taddock and Charles Avery and this information about their past and why they were never looked into. You know, they were fucking complete fucking women beaters and psychos. So I don't know. Both had the means to kill Hallbach. Both just they, they both lived in that same general area. Both had motives to kill the chick. You know what I That's mean? That's the thing. So. They never had a motive with Steven. But they're two perfectly good motives for Scott. Not uh, I mean the motives especially when you're just fucking psycho, those motives are good enough. Well yeah, when you're on that level, when you're on that mindset well, in that mindset, I'm sorry. Um like, dude, you can act, like, quick. Boom, 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 you know what I mean? So it's like, all right, we're going to plant this shit here, and we're going to do this there, and we're going to do this here. I don't know, Tadic, though, he fucking, he's a real piece of work, though. That fucking, I don't know, dude. 
I would believe it would be Tadic any day over her Charles, but they're both fucking weird. You never know. Stranger things have occurred in this world. And the one piece of evidence I want to take away from that was uh, a statement that he made that he was leaving work early, I believe. He's, who who uh, are we talking about, Avery? Or? Charles, okay. yeah. That Charles left work early because they had somebody coming by to take pictures of the van. Like, I don't know. Why would he, why would he want any part of that? That had nothing to do with him. That was Barb's car. Yeah, maybe you just want to get out of work early, but who fucking knows? I, I can't put that one together. Or maybe, I mean, and we don't know this, but maybe somehow he had a hard-on for Teresa Halbach. I mean, she was a fairly attractive-looking woman, you know what I mean? Yep. So it's it's never out of the realm of possibilities. Don't forget, everything that I just read is absolutely from the state versus, uh, the state of Wisconsin versus Avery, his post-conviction. It's called uh, the Denny Part 2, um, which is, you know, wondering why these people were not investigated hell i got earl avery i got them all here um and uh, you can find them down below um but we're going to move on to some other things and we're going to let you think about that one with charles avery and uh please leave your comments down below so i highly recommend um you guys go out and look at the information here on the youtube channel um from these documents yourself especially the um kevin rudlow um affidavit where he gave his testimony about that you can even see the exhibits and everything the flyer the picture that he states is colburn and in the text messages itself you can actually see pictures that were taken and uh, i recommend going back and looking at that and we also have the the information here about charles and why you know they never wanted a third party that's the whole point these people should have been investigated and they weren't we're going to dive into the 1200 page motion and petition um i should just say petition on uh, next week's episode and uh, fucking hold yourselves in because there's some crazy insane shit let me just say you're going to want to listen to that one we were covering this for quite a while so we want to we're going to break down the fact that the actual if you guys have like maybe ever seen dexter or you know that blood splatter analysis is an absolute thing absolute thing like you can you they they will spend weeks to recreate blood splatter they pretty much have proved that that she was bludgeoned in the back of the head by maybe a hammer um, and uh, that the blood splatter came back from it. And But Zellner, his new um, defense attorney, is saying that it could have, it was most likely her ex. Now, that might not be something that might be an actual throw off. So we want to cover that. They could maybe want to point the finger at him, but they actually have other information on somebody else. So um, we're going to go over that. But that's all the time we have for today. Please comment. Let us know. Throw the questions at us so we can help gather information and answer questions you might have. And then and then we can do this forward and say, hey, so so-and-so asked this question. And we're going to say, well, no, that's not true because of this, this, and that. Or, hey, that's true. We should put that in the in the bag and, and play with it. But um, that's all the time we have for today. I hope you guys are enjoying this. We're having fun researching and and wondering about this. Free Steve Avery. <laughs> the most important thing is it's not about we're trying to get an answer, whether it's good or bad. It doesn't matter. We, there, The only person that's ever going to know the answer to these questions is Teresa Hallbach. And also, um, you can leave down the comment section because I am very curious to fucking know this answer on what you guys feel. Um, rather, if you've watched the documentary or 
you're just going off of what we're doing in the podcast, let us know your thoughts. Do you think Stephen Avery is innocent or do you think that he is guilty as charged? Let us know. I'm curious to know. I think he's innocent. Free Steve Avery. That's all the time we have for today, everybody. I am Rooster Driftwood. I'm Brother D. And you're listening to Bad Table Manners.